Chapter 10 of The Directory of the Devout Life by F. B. Meyer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne. Chapter 10. The Second Mile. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42. It is the second mile that tests our character. About the first there is no controversy. We must traverse it whether we will or not. Our Lord refers to the usage of the East in the transmission of royal messages. They are carried forward by relays of messengers, much in the fashion of the fiery cross in the highlands, as Sir Walter Scott describes it in The Lady of the Lake. But the messengers were pressed men, i.e., each village or township was bound to forward the message to the next, and the first man that was happened on, however pressing his own business, was obliged to afford the use of his horse or mules, and go forward with the royal courier, giving him a mount and accompanying him. In the same way, emergencies are continually happening to us all. We leave our homes in the morning not expecting any demand for help, or any other circumstance to interfere with the regular routine of the day's engagements, and then, all suddenly and unexpectedly, there are the sounds of horses' hooves. A great demand has burst in on our lives, and we are obliged to go off in a direction which we never contemplated. We have no option. We are compelled to go one mile, and then the question will arise. Now you have performed what you were bound to perform, and given what any other man would have given. What are you going to do? The next mile is of prime necessity. It is in your option to go or not to go, and your action will determine whether or not you have entered into the inner heart of Christ, and are his disciple, not in word only, but in deed and in truth. What as to the left cheek? That the right should have been struck is an incident which has happened to you altogether apart from your choice. It does not reveal your character in one way or the other, but your behavior with respect to the left cheek will show immediately what you are. What as to your cloak? Apparently your creditor can claim your tunic, and there is no merit in giving this up. Anyone must have done as much. But when that is gone, what will you do about your cloak? This is the test of what you really are. But does our Lord mean that we should do literally as he says? Are we really to go the second mile and turn the left cheek and let our cloak go in the wake of our coat? These questions have been asked all along the ages and answered as we answer them still. Each questioner must be fully persuaded in his own mind, and according to your faith, so it will be done unto you. Most saintly souls have yielded a literal obedience to these precepts. It is recorded of the eccentric but devoted Billy Bray that in going down into the pit, shortly after his remarkable conversion, an old companion gave him a stinging blow on the cheek. Take that, he said, for turning Methodist. In former times such an insult would never have been attempted, for the whole country knew that Billy Bray was an inveterate pugilist. All the answer that he gave, however, was, the Lord forgive thee, lad, as I do, and bring thee to a better mind. I pray for thee. Three or four days after, his assailant came to him under the deepest conviction of sin, and asked his forgiveness. The head of the constabulary in the great district in India told me that when he became a Christian, he found it necessary to withdraw from the Gymkhana, which is the European club and society rendezvous in most Indian cities and his action in this matter aroused very strong feeling against him amongst his former associates. One day, as he was driving on the high road, 
a well-known society man driving past him in the other direction rose up in his dog-cart and cut at him a tremendous blow with his whip saying as he swore take that you my friend who is a very powerful man and of commanding presence took it quietly waited his opportunity of doing this man a kindness and i believe it was the means of his conversion also in connection with a missionary society working among the tribes on the congo in which i am deeply interested one of the missionaries resolved that he would teach a literal obedience to these words of our lord lest any evasion of them might lessen their authority over the hearts and lives of his people his hearers were greatly interested and excited and were not slow in putting the missionary to the test on one memorable day they gathered around his house and began asking for the articles which excited their cupidity and which he had brought at such cost from home in an hour or two his house was literally stripped and his wife and he betook themselves to prayer for of course it is impossible for europeans to live in that climate without many accessories which are needless for the natives but in the evening under the shadow of the night one after another stole back bringing the article which he had taken away and confessing that it was impossible to retain it in his possession because of the burden which had come upon his heart many such instances are probably occurring every day and compel us to believe that there is a range of laws which should govern our dealings with our fellows and which are only unfolded to those who live not by sight but by faith in the son of god faith has been called the sixth sense and it lays its hands on the third keyboard of the great organ of existence far be it from us therefore to judge any who feel it to be their duty to obey these words of their master in all literality but even if they are taken literally there must be some reserves for instance when our lord says resist not evil it is impossible to apply his words universally suppose for instance as we pass along a road we encounter a brutal man grossly maltreating a woman or a little child or a gang of roughs assaulting a fellow-traveller it cannot be that we are forbidden to resist the wrongdoer to the utmost of our power the whole machinery of the eternal and invisible world is continually being called into requisition to succour us against foul fiends as spencer puts it and surely we may do as much in these scenes of human existence clearly our lord only forbids us to strike for purposes of private retaliation and revenge and we are not to be avengers in our own personal quarrels we are to guard against taking the law into our own hands lest our passion should drift us outside the warm zone of the love of god it is the personal element in the resistance of wrong that our lord forbids but he would surely never arrest the soldier policeman or even the private citizen from stopping so far as possible deeds of wrong and acts of criminal assault if thieves break into your home or wicked men should try to injure wife or child or if you should come on some poor jew who is set on by robbers who strip him of his property and beat him almost to death you are bound to interfere with a prayer to god that he would succour you and when the wrong has been done as the lord teaches us by his own behaviour we may reprimand and remonstrate and appeal to the conscience and heart when one of the officers of the court struck jesus with his hand jesus answered him if i have spoken evil bear witness of the evil but if well why smitest thou me but there we must stop we must not say in our heart i will be even with thee and give thee as much as thou hast given me it is equally our duty for the sake of others to take measures to arrest and punish the wrongdoer 
supposing that a man has wronged you, and that you have good reason to believe that he is systematically wronging others. If you have an opportunity of having him punished, you are absolutely obliged, as it seems to me, to take such action against him as will make it impossible for him to pursue his career of depredation. If your lot should be cast in a mining camp in the far west, which was dominated by some swaggering ruffian, and he assaulted you, I do not think that you would be contravening the law of Christ if you were to give him so strong a handling that his power for evil would be arrested from that hour. It being clearly understood that you put out of your heart all private revenge and personal malice, and are living in a land where it is impossible to bring the wrongdoer before judge or jury, you may be compelled to act in a judicial capacity, doing for society what society is not able to do through lack of legalized officers and methods. Expostulation, argument, appeals to reason might be employed first, but if these failed there would be necessity to use the only other argument that might be available. It is clear, also, that we cannot literally obey the Lord's injunction to give to everyone that asks, else the world would become full of sturdy beggars living on the hard-earned wages of the thrifty, and this would result in the undoing of society and of the beggars themselves. Does God give to all who ask him? Does he not often turn aside from the borrower? He knows what will hurt or help us, knows that to many an entreaty his kindest answer is a rebuff, knows that if he were to give us all we ask, we should repent of having asked so soon as we awoke in the light of eternity. So when the drunkard or the drone asks me for money, I steadfastly refuse. It is even our duty not to give money indiscriminately, and without full acquaintance with the applicant and his circumstances, for we may be giving him the means of forging more tightly the fetters by which he is bound to his sins. A piece of bread is the most we may bestow upon the mendicant, until we have some knowledge of his character, his mode of life, and his real intentions. If only Christian people would resist the impulse to give money to beggars of all kinds, and reserve themselves for the more modest poor who suffer without making appeals, how much of the evil and sorrow of our time would be remedied? What, then, does the Lord require of us? 1. Do not take the law into your own hands. In the old Mosaic legislation it was enacted that as a man had done, so it should be done to him, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Exodus chapter 21, verses 24 and 25. But in the time of our Lord this had been interpreted as conferring on a man the right to retaliation and revenge. The Jews conveniently ignored Leviticus chapter 19, verses 17 and 18, which expressly forbade the private infliction of punishment. When we are wronged, we must refer the wrong to the great organized society of which we are part. Society will lay its hand on the wrongdoer. The judge who sits on the bench is not an individual, but the embodiment of society, the representative of law and order, and if he condemn a fellow creature to penal servitude for life, there is no kind of malice or vindictive feeling in his breast. 2. Turn retaliation into redemption. When struck on the cheek, the instant impulse of the natural man is to strike back on the cheek of the smiter. There must be a second blow. But the master says, if there be a second blow, let it fall on your other cheek. Instead of inflicting it, suffer it. Instead of avenging yourself on the wrongdoer, compel yourself to suffer a second blow. 
in the hope that when you oppose your uncomplaining patience to his brutality, you may effect his redemption. The first blow was of his malice, the second blow will be of your love, and this will set new looms at work within his heart, weaving the fabric of a new life. Thus the wrongs that men have done to God led him to present the other cheek to them, when he sent them his only begotten Son, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. The patient sufferings of our Lord have melted the hearts of men, and, as in his case, so in a lesser extent it will be in ours. 3. Be large-hearted. Freely ye have received, freely give. Do not be stingy and niggardly in your behavior towards men. You are obliged to yield the coat. Give the cloak. You are compelled to go for one mile at least. Now, out of sincerest desire to serve the purposes of the commonwealth, go another. The law compels you to give your cabman a shilling for two miles, but give him an extra sixpence if he drives you to the extreme margin of that distance. The law compels you to pay your debts, but if you have incurred them, and they are rightfully due, pay them without haggling. There are certain duties in the home which fall to your lot to be performed. Do them with a smile. That is the second mile. The husband must give the needed money to his wife for household expenditure. Let him do it without grudging. That is his second mile. The employee must render certain services to his employer. If, however, he renders these reluctantly, doing only what he is paid to do, not entering into the spirit of his work, or doing it to the utmost of his power, he is like an impressed laborer, carrying the messages against his will. But as soon as he does his duty with alacrity and eagerness, even staying overtime to finish a piece of necessary service, that is his second mile. 4. Cultivate an ungrudging, generous spirit. God loveth a cheerful giver. Think of God in his incessant giving, giving his son and his reign, giving to the curl and the miser, the thankless and the heartless, equally as to the loving and prayerful. That is to be our great model, we are to be stars, ever pouring our light on the vault of night, flowers shedding fragrance, though on the desert air, fountains, though we rise in the lonely places of the earth, where only the wild things of nature come to drink. Always be giving love and help to this thankless and needy world, because so sure that as we give, we shall get. As we break our barley loaves and small fishes, our hands will be filled, and filled again, out of the storehouses of God. Freely ye have received, freely give. With the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. I want to add my testimony to the literal truth of these words. In my life I have found repeatedly that in proportion as I have given, I have gotten, and that men have given into my bosom according to heaven's own measure, pressed down, heaped up, and running over. For all this we need to have a new baptism of love. The love of God must be poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who is given unto us. We must learn to unite ourselves with our Father's redemptive purpose, looking at the wrong done to us, not so much from our standpoint, but from that of the wrongdoer, with an infinite pity for all the poisonous passion which is filling his heart, and an infinite desire to deliver and save him. 
one thought for his welfare will thus overmaster all desire for our personal revenge, and we shall heap on his head the hot coals of our love, to melt his heart and save him from himself. End of chapter 10